and we'll be looking at um, verse 16 down through verse 19. A lot going on on the church calendar as we approach the end of the year. Uh, the uh, the season here going into the Christmas holiday. Let me just quickly uh, just just say to all of you: Don't let the Christmas season pull you away from being faithful to God's house. I think it's funny how that uh, Christmas will land on a Sunday some years, and some churches just cancel their services. And Christmas is a religious holiday. Why are we canceling the church service, right? Um, uh, listen, we get so busy with everything else going on, and we forget that Jesus is the reason of the season, right? And so we're coming into that. Um, i got to tell you all, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Is there anyone else here that could share in that with me? A few thankful people in the auditorium. The rest of you, I don't know. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I love Thanksgiving. I love the fall season. I love the fall colors. And my wife and I have this little um, uh, funny little spat going on in our home. She wants to decorate for Christmas in like June. And I told her, you cannot start decorating for Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving. I'm not moving off of that, amen? I'm... I may not make any other rules in the house when I'm holding to that one. So, are you with me, Brother Verone? Amen. Amen. So, if, um, if uh, any of you here are, are marriage counselors, I, I get your number after church. I, no, but uh, that's uh, uh, probably Friday we'll be setting up the Christmas tree and putting out all the decorations. But in all of the festivities and all of the fun, make sure you keep Jesus at the center of all that. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 6 will stand tonight for the reading of God's Word. Verse 16 down through verse 19 says there, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. We've looked at several of these. Tonight we'll focus in on that one there, feet that... Uh, be swift in running to mischief. The title is Feet Swift in Running to Mischief. Let's pray. God, I ask tonight you'd help us to understand the passage and help us to understand a Bible study even on our feet and the way that our feet choose. And I pray, God, that as we look at this from both a literal sense and a figurative sense, that you'd help us to understand it. You'd help us to examine who we are, where we're going, and press your word and your truths on us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I pulled some uh, statistics this week off of um, off of the internet, and that try to help make my point here in the introduction. And I'm going to start at the furthest extreme from us, and then work back to us here. Okay, so I don't want you to think after I read these first couple of statistics. Well, I'm in the clear tonight. He's not coming after me. All right, we're going to start way out there on the edge where hopefully no one in the room is, and then we'll work back to us here. Approximately 5,600 banks are robbed in some way every year here in the U.S. 5,600 banks in some way. Now, that might be the dramatic, right, Hollywood, walk in with a gun and the mask, stick them up, give me everything behind the counter. That may just be an employee embezzling funds behind the scenes. But 5,600 banks in some way are robbed Every year here in the U.S., 17,250 people were killed, were murdered in the U.S. in 2016. 15, or 17,000 
250. Now, if you're here tonight and you're a small child and you think, oh my, that's going to happen to me next, let me just remind you that there are some 200, uh, 260 million Americans. So the chances of someone murdering you are pretty slim. You're, you're pretty, pretty well safe, especially if you're staying away from the wrong crowd and you're staying away from the wrong things. But still, 17,250 people, that's a lot of murders to happen in one country. Um, here's a stat for you. It's a little bit uh, uh, different than the two of those. This would have been back in the between uh, 2000 and 2010, but a hundred billion dollars a year is spent on alcohol consumption here in America. A hundred billion dollars. Now, I promise you that number has risen since then, but we're well in excess of a hundred billion dollars. Now, what do all of these have in common? The robbing of a bank, the uh, the murdering of another human, the embezzling, or rather the, the drinking down consumption of alcohol, the buying and consuming of al- alcohol. If you set the internet to the side, here's what I drew out. You need feet. You need feet to go do these things. You've got to have feet to go commit a murder. You've got to have feet uh, to uh, uh, go rob a bank, usually. You've got to have feet uh, that are going to go out to the packet store and buy your your alcohol there. And the Bible says that, uh, notice there, the Bible says that their feet are swift, are swift in running to mischief. This has the idea of someone who is on the move and they're on the move quick. They're on the go, don't get in their way. In fact, you find that idea of uh, feet being swift to mischief, you find those two words, feet and swift, together in the same verse on at least two different occasions. They move and they move quickly. Angela and I, uh, when we first got married, we were serving at Rosedale Baptist Church. That's where we were, uh, the church we were married in. And uh, uh, we, they gave us a Spanish adult bus route. So um, I was called the bus captain of the Spanish adult bus route in Baltimore, but I didn't speak Spanish. So, truth is, Angela was the captain, and I was her, I was her worker, right? And so, uh, this was back before kids. We'd get up uh, uh, every Saturday morning, we'd go to the church for a uh, meeting, and then out to visit the bus route, and uh, we didn't inherit this route from someone else. We started this route from scratch, and we would go all over the Baltimore uh, uh, area, or this, the northern part of Baltimore there. Highland Town was the name of the area. And uh, we would recruit Spanish adult after Spanish adult. And uh, probably the pinnacle of that route, we had 30 to 40 adults coming on that bus route every single week. The way we got that route up to be so big, it was probably running 15 or 20, but I coached the soccer team at our uh, Christian school, and I had an idea. My soccer team was really good one year, so I thought. And I said, well, hey, let's let my bus route guys play my soccer team. And so we got these uh, 20-something, 30-something-year-old Spanish men who um, uh, most of them had come over illegally from Mexico and Guatemala and Central America and South America. We got them on the bus, and some of them came in with cowboy boots on and blue jeans on that day, and we took them over to a field, and my team was wearing uniforms, and all of them, some of them were dressed ready to play, most of them weren't. My team that year, my high school team was undefeated. That, that game, they beat us something like eight to nothing. It was embarrassing. In their, in their cowboy boots, Brother Ben, they were killing us. 
And um, it, it, we had a huge day that day. We filled the bus up with people. And uh, But in that uh, bus route, I totally chased a rabbit there with that soccer story. In that bus route, uh, Angela and I were uh, uh, going around, and, and my brother James, who spoke here on Wednesday night sometime back, missionary to Honduras, he was helping us on that route as well. And we were dropping people off. We came around a turn there in Highland Town, and we saw a guy come out from around the corners the summer day wearing a hoodie. And he pulled a gun out from the hoodie. This happened right in front of us. And he shot a guy in the stomach right in front of us. I mean, from here to the back of the auditorium. And then the guy grabs his stomach and falls down in the road. He tucks the gun back in his hoodie and he goes running around the corner. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. Um, I, I don't know that we had a cell phone. If we did, I'm sure we called 911. You've got to remember, this is back before iPhone was even invented. Um, I don't think anyone here tonight is going to run out and kill somebody. I hope not. If you're thinking about that, stop it. Don't go kill somebody. Don't take someone's life. You weren't made to take someone else's life. You will regret that. I don't think anyone in here tonight is planning on going out and robbing a bank or robbing an ATM or robbing a 7-Eleven. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's feet that are swift and running to mischief. I doubt anyone tonight is going to head out and buy a 12-pack of beer on the way home to watch the Sunday night football game. Listen, you can drink Pepsi and watch football just like you can drink a beer and watch football. The better, uh, the, the better part of drinking a Pepsi is that you wake up with no hangover. Don't drink beer. You don't need beer to watch sports. That's a big lie that we've been sold through our media there. Uh, but how about those Christians whose feet are not on the path that God has for you? How about those Christians who are not acknowledging God in all their ways? What's Proverbs 3, 6 tell us? In all thy ways, those ways are the paths, the, the, the road that you walk down, the destination you take ba- daily. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy path. We can look and say, I'm not committing the sins of murder and robbery. Well, I'm not running out and uh, uh, committing adultery. I'm not running out and doing all those things. Yes, but are you walking in your own intellect and flesh or are you walking in the steps that the Lord has guided you in and wants you to walk down? So tonight the challenge to you is not just avoiding the the path of the mischievous, but are you walking close with the Lord? Is that where your feet are walking? We're going to look at four truths tonight. And again, this uh, message will be uh, will have more of a Wednesday evening Bible study feel to it. Let's jump in right uh, here and see point number one: the paths of our feet. The paths of our feet. Get ready to use your Bible. We're going to be bouncing all over the place tonight with this being a Bible study. In Scripture, there are two distinct paths that we can choose. Two distinct paths that we can choose. Letter A. First, notice the iniquitous way. The iniquitous way. Take your Bibles with me over to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be here uh, uh, for a couple different, uh, 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 couple different times. So go to 1 John 1 and you're going to hold, hold your place here as we flip around some other places here. 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse number 5. It says, I'm going to begin reading, This then is the message which ye have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no Darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and notice this, walk in darkness. Walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. So, below the iniquitous way, let me give you three words to help describe that. The first one is darkness. 
darkness. Verse 6, verse 6 says that there are those who walk in darkness. What does John chapter 8 verse 12 say? Many of you here have it memorized. Then spake Jesus again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Shall not walk in darkness. So, if we're walking with Jesus, notice here, here, pay attention, if we're walking with Jesus, we're walking in the light. If we're not walking with Jesus, that means we're walking in the darkness. The iniquitous way, letter A, or rather below that, we see darkness. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19 says this, The way of the wicked... Notice that word, way, the way, the path that they walk down. The road of the wicked, the path of the wicked, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. They, they're walking down trying to figure out where they're going. It's dark out. They have no flashlight. They've got no source of light. They're, they're, they're stumbling all over everything in their path. Why? Because the way of the iniquitous, the path of the iniquitous, the road of those who choose to live in sin, it's dark. It's dark. Notice also that it is deceit. Look back down there at verse John chapter 1 verse 6. If we say, that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, notice that, we lie. We lie. There are those Christians, there are those Christians who claim that they're good with God. Me and God, we're good. Everything's great. But the truth is, you're walking in darkness. You don't read your Bible. You don't really pray. You endure the preaching. You look the part. You you say you're walking in the light, but really you're walking in the dark. You know what you're doing? You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Here's another one. 1 John's a great book to study this truth out, but if you say you're walking in the light, but you have a problem, a deep-rooted problem with a brother or sister in Christ, you're walking in darkness. Again, I love Jesus. But you don't love your brother across the room? You don't love your sister in Christ that's sitting across the room? You're not walking in the light. You're walking in darkness. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You can go through the motions of carrying your Bible to church. You can go through the motions of getting all dressed up nice and pretty. You can go through all those motions, but it's deceit. Job puts it this way. Job 31.5, If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit. My foot hath hasted to deceit. Uh, and again, he's talking hypothetically here, but we can make the conclusion that there are feet that have hasted, are, are swift to running to deceit. How about this word? Destruction. Destruction. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. Hold your place in 1 John 1. Romans chapter 3. Um, Romans chapter 3 verse 10. You all know that verse, right? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. Us uh, that, that go out soul winning, occasionally we'll use that verse. 
coupled with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, between Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, there is a great breakdown and explanation. By the way, you go back to our text uh, here in Proverbs chapter 6, you'll find uh, uh, all, all kinds of body parts mentioned there in Proverbs 6. You have uh, uh, proud look, that's talking about the eyes or the visage of the face. A lying tongue, so the eyes, the tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that deceiveth wicked imaginations. You can add the mind in there and then you get feet. So this is the sixth body part. If you look there between Romans 3.10 on down through verse 23, you find most of those same body parts here. Look at verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Destruction. Destruction and misery are in their ways. They are bent on destroying anything good that is in their path. If they can't destroy a person, then they will work to make that person miserable. So either they're going to destroy all the good that's in their path, including all the good people, and if they can't destroy someone that's good that's in their path, well now they're going to go after their character and they're at least going to make them miserable. Destruction. This is someone who is walking the iniquitous way. If you uh, here tonight have not put your faith and trust in Christ, this is the path that you're on. It's the only path that you could possibly be on. But for those here tonight that are saved, there is a second option. Let her be notice the illuminated path, or the illuminated way. Back in First John chapter 1, look there at verse 7 with me. It says there, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we walk, 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 that's what our feet do, our feet walk, in the light. Now, we've done a lot of moving around in the last uh, ten years. Angel and I have. I think we've lived in seven or eight different houses. On top of moving around all these places, my wife occasionally rearranges the furniture. How many of you here get the furniture rearranged regularly? Um, let me add another, another complexity to this. My children like Legos. Let me just say this. The most painful, excruciating sensation in the world is stepping on a Lego with your bare foot in the middle of the night. Oh, I could wake everybody up in the house with a scream. So you have new house layout, right? You've got rearranged furniture and you've got Legos and other toys on the floor. Anybody want to walk through the dark in that setup? But people walk through life in the dark. You know, um, one of the first things I learned when I moved into a new house is where the light switches are. Where the light switches are. You turn those things on. You get those things on when it's dark out. How important they are. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about the illuminated way uh, here. First, notice our source. Our source. First John chapter 1 there, verse 5 tells us that God is light. Now that's important. In understanding this, God is light. 
Verse 7 tells us that we are to walk in the light. So, God is light, transitive property here. God is light, then we are to walk in the light. We're to walk in the light. What does that mean? Well, to put it in simple uh, language, that means that in order to walk in the light, you must walk with God. You must walk with God. That's why Proverbs 3 tells us, it says there, uh, 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 Proverbs 3, uh, verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge Him. Why? Because He's like that flashlight in your hand while you're walking through life. You can either in all your ways not acknowledge Him and walk around in the darkness, or you can in all your ways acknowledge Him and turn that flashlight on, and He is light. He directs your path. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Uh, that uh, uh, Some of you here have multiple different routes you can take to work uh, on uh, as you go. Some of you here, most of you here have multiple outfits that you can put on. Most of you here have multiple songs on an MP3 three player or in your phone or if you're old on your 8-tracks. Amen? A lot of you here have all kinds of ways that you can do all kinds of things in life. In all thy ways, turn that flashlight on, acknowledge Him, acknowledge the light, and He shall direct thy path. How do you walk in the light? Well, the source in the illuminated way, the source is uh, walking with God. Uh, uh, just to make it practical, it's a constant communication with your Savior. Lord, what would you have me do next on the to-do list? Lord, I, I, uh, I can take this exit here, or should I go up and take the next one instead? Lord, um, I can get gas at this gas station, or I can go up there. And is there someone at that other gas station that you you want me to be an encouragement to today? That maybe won't be at the one that I'm wanting to go to. It's acknowledging Him. It's walking. It's walking with God in a very practical way. Notice uh, the source there. Uh, also, the Word of God. Psalm one nineteen one o five. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp. Thy word is a light. Thy word is a lamp and a light. Uh, and, and so, uh, God's word, God's word. Listen, you can, uh, you can read God's word and you grip your sword with one finger. Or you can meditate on God's word and now you got two fingers on it. Uh, you can study God's word and now you got three fingers on it. You can memorize God's word and now you got four fingers on it. And then you can go to church and hear God's word preached and you got five fingers on it. And now you can cleave to the sword of God and that light that's in front of you can show you where to go. Listen, a lot of people will say, Pastor, how do I know what God's unknown will for me is? I know what the known will of God is. How do I figure out what the unknown will is? It's this right here. It's consuming God's Word. It's walking with Him. It's holding tightly to the flashlight of the Bible and saying, Lord, uh, uh, who do you want me to marry, young folks? And uh, Lord, uh, what career path do you want me to choose? And Lord, where, where do you want me to go next with my life? How do you want me to behave. It is not a preacher that tells you those things. It's this right here that shows you God's heartbeat on things. It's the Word of God. It is the source of the illuminated way. I've got so much more to say. Notice here next, our surety. Our surety. Surety. Again, Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shines, watch this now, it shines down at your feet, it shines out at your path. It shines down at your feet, it shines 
out at your path. It shows you if your feet are on the right path now. And it shows you the next several steps of how to stay on the right path as you go. So, uh, it shows you how to live today in the moment. It shows you out through the rest of the day and maybe even until tomorrow. I remember as a young man trying to figure out where to go to college. I had a disagreement with my father. It was a very respectful disagreement. But I had a disagreement with my father about which Christian college I should attend. And uh, I really struggled with that. And i got to say, God did not clear it up for me until just a month or two before I left for college. Just a month or two before I left for college. Why? Because God's Word does not need to shine a light on how what I'm going to be doing or how I'm going to be living ten years from now. It just needs to show me right now. In the next little bit here. So, it's our surety. Notice it's our safety. This is an important point as as we develop the thought of the rest of the sermon. Flip over to Psalm chapter 23 with me, if you will. I know you probably have the psalm memorized, most of you. But turn over to Psalm chapter 23 with me, if you will. Look with me at verse number 3. and I I want us to look at this in light of the topic of our feet in our path here. It says there, He restoreth my soul. Verse 3, He leadeth me, look here at the, the topic of paths and ways and, and feet. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk, there's the idea of the feet, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Now, this is a chapter that's oftentimes used at funerals, and, and I'm glad that it's used to comfort people at funerals, but in reality, this isn't a funeral passage. This is about living, not dying. And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes, my friend, that flashlight of God's Word, that lamp to your feet, that light of your path, you're not going to light the path that takes you down. You're not. Sometimes it's even going to take you through a valley of a shadow of death where you fear for your own self. We're going to look at some examples of this in just a few moments here. Uh, but uh, it is our safety. Notice there that it is a shadow of death, but it is not death. You see, if you're born again and you're walking uh, the illuminated path, you're serving the Lord, you uh, you cannot really taste death. If you've put your faith in Christ at all, uh, one day your body might die, but two-thirds of you continues to live on in heaven. The only thing you leave behind is your body. Number two, we see the perdition of the mischievous. The perdition of the mischievous. Now, I could have chosen a different word than perdition. But the word perdition says exactly what I'm trying to get at here. Let me define perdition for you as the dictionary defines it. Perdition means a state of final spiritual ruin. Loss of the soul. A state of final spiritual ruin. The loss of the soul. Now, um, if you walk down the wrong path, if your feet are swift to shed innocent blood, or uh, uh, feet are swift to mischief, as Proverbs chapter 6 says. And that's the path you want to remain on and run down. As a lost soul, you are on your way to eternal spiritual ruin. If you're saved, you can also be on that path, and it will lead to a temporary physical ruin of of, of your spirituality. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1 with me. Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, we'll see here uh, the perdition, the destruction of the mischievous. The perdition of the mischievous. Here Solomon is telling his son, look, there is a crowd you need to stay away from. 
Listen, I don't care tonight if you're 6 or if you're 60. This is advice we all need to be reminded of. No matter if you're uh, in a cesspool of sin in an office or you are working in a Christian environment such as the one that I'm in, there are people around you somewhere in some circle of your life that you can begin to try to impress and you can push the limits too far and you end up living a life of sin because you're trying to impress them. Now, to the young folks in here tonight, I would encourage you to sit up and really pay attention to what Solomon was telling his son here because uh, you are probably more vulnerable to it than anybody. Look at verse 15 there. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain, refrain thy foot from their path. Uh, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain a net is, uh, uh, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. Here what, uh, Solomon is telling his son is these guys are running out to cause problems for everyone else. They want to shed blood. They, they, they want to run around and be mischievous. The truth is they are laying wait for their own hurt. It, they have set up a trap for someone else that they themselves are going to get caught up in. Let me give you some examples of this tonight. How about when uh, King Saul was chasing down David? I think we can say that this was someone who is, uh, uh, whose feet were swift in running to mischief. We know that Saul chased David for a very long time. Now in 1 Samuel 23, you turn over there for me, 1 Samuel 23, God sent David to uh, rescue the people of uh, uh, Keilah. Keilah, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced. And they were uh, they had come under bondage of the uh, Philistines there. And uh, David prayed twice in this passage. David prayed twice in the story, saying, Lord, do you want me to go up and overtake the Philistines? There were more Philistines than there were David and his men as David was on the run from Saul. And God said yes. And so he gets his soldiers together. He's running over there to, to do it. And before he actually engages in battle, he prays again. He says, are you sure? Are you really, really sure that this is what you want me to do? And the Lord says, you're going to overtake them. So David goes in, they fight the battle, and they overthrow the Philistines, and they set uh, the, the, the residents of this town free. Now David is inside the city, and he's rejoicing, and Saul hears that David is inside the city, and that David is trapped inside its walls. And Saul begins to march toward the city. Look down at verse number 9 there. It says, And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. Now, uh, put yourself in this spot, alright? You have just rescued a city from bondage. You are their hero. You are, you are the most popular guy in town, right? And you have your arch rival, your arch enemy, Saul, marching at you to kill you. And uh, you're probably thinking, I'm inside of a city wall. I'm safe. These people should protect me. David prays the Lord. He says, are these people going to turn me over to Saul? And the Lord says, yes, they are. And so David gets out of Dodge in just the last minute. By the way, there are all kinds of stories about Saul chasing David where God had to step in and supernaturally intervene to keep Saul from killing David. I hope you hear what I'm about to say because this, this might really help some of you. If David had just lived in the moment, 
He's living in caves, in the wilderness. Saul is uh, living in palaces when he's not chasing David. Boy, it would look like that David was walking in the dark way and Saul was walking in the way of light, wouldn't it? Even though it was the opposite. Even though it was the opposite. For many, many years, Saul chased David. You hearing me now? For many, many years, Saul, who was walking in the iniquitous way, was chasing David, who was walking in the illuminated way. But that's not how it felt. Saul, it appeared that Saul was in the right spot, and David was the one living uh, with trouble in his life. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 18 reminds us that they lay wait for themselves, that they themselves will be killed. What happened to Saul? He was killed in battle. What happened to David? David would become king and he would die a ripe old age. Ripe old age. Just because in this moment of your obedience, it feels like life isn't going your way, boy, stay at it. Stay at it. Just keep doing what's right. It may not feel like the illuminated way. It might feel like the valley of the shadow of death that David himself would write about, possibly even about this time. But David found that that way, that path of his feet, took him through a very dark time, but then brought him to a great place. How about Haman? Haman. You all remember Haman, right? From the book of Esther? Haman, uh, he hated Mordecai. Hated him. Couldn't stand him. He would walk past Mordecai and everybody else would bow to Haman, but not old Mordecai. Mordecai stood there and he wouldn't bow down to old Haman. And uh, Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew. And so he decided not only did he hate Mordecai, but he hated all the Jews. And he used the trust of the king to carry out a personal hatred. He he told the king of just some generalities. There's a group of rebel-rousers in your kingdom that are causing problems. And king, it's not something you need to worry with. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. So what did he do? He wrote a law saying that the Jews could all be killed. They could all be killed. And day after day, he'd walk past Mordecai, waiting for that day on the calendar to arrive. And Mordecai would not bow And Haman's anger and hatred grew yet the more. One day, Haman stumbles in his home and he's just filled with fury and filled with anger and he's just pouring it all out to his wife. And his wife's like, look, just build some gallows and hang the guy. You don't need to deal with that. So he builds the gallows and you know the story. He's in the king's palace late at night. The king can't sleep. And uh, the king says to him, well, what should I do for the man that uh, in whom the king delighted? And he says, oh man, you need to put the robe on his back. You need to put him on a horse. You need to have someone walk through the street and, 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 and do him up real good. Do, just do him up real good. And the king says, okay, I want you to go do that to Mordecai. And you're talking about one of those jaw-hit-the-floor moments. What? My worst enemy! I'm sure that day as he stumbled in the door to get changed to run to the banquet with Esther, and he's telling his wife this story while he's getting cleaned up. Maybe he's in the shower and he's telling his wife through the, the, the curtain rod, over the curtain rod there, he, and his wife says, well, honey, don't worry about it. You may have honored Mordecai today. You get to kill him here soon. Verse, we know that Esther would go in and plead and when uh, it would be found out of what Haman did, Haman would be hung on his own gallows. Again, Proverbs 1, verse 16, For their feet run to evil, 
and make haste to shed blood, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. Haman would hang, his body would swing from the very gallows that his feet had run to build for Haman. You want to walk the wrong path, you're going to pay the price. The paths of our feet. Number two, the perdition of the mischievous. Number three, we see the pondering of our path. The pondering of our path. Can you take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 4? It should be right there near where you're at. Proverbs chapter 4. I think in this Bible study, to put this together, the point we're going to cover now probably spoke to me more than any of the rest of the message. And if you're a mature Christian tonight, I hope you'll pay attention right here. This, I believe this can speak to you the way it spoke to me. Look at verse 26. We know verse 23. Let's look down to verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Now, verse 23 through 26 contain the same parts of our body that Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 contain. Look there at verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put, uh, life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, of thy feet, uh, uh, and let all thy ways be established. Somehow, I believe that all of this is interconnected. If we can get our eyes to look right, we can get our feet to go right. Right? Some of you aren't going the wrong places yet, but you're looking in the wrong places. God doesn't go in and commit adultery on His wife without first scoping out a woman to be a prospect. His eyes looked wrong before His feet went wrong. An alcoholic does not find a place to get his, his, his drink until he first uses his eyes to scope out a place to get that drink. We can get our eyes to look right. We can get our feet to go right. If we can get our heart turned over to God, then our feet will point toward God's path or walk down God's path. If we can get our mouth or our lips to speak right, we can get our feet right, can't we? Isn't that what James said, that if we can control the smallest member of our tongue, we can control the whole rest of our body? We can get our tongue right, we can get our feet right, we can get our heart right, we can get our feet right. If we can get our, our, uh, our, uh, our eyes right, we can get our feet right. Now, if we're not regularly pondering or meditating or musing upon the path that your feet take, then you cannot establish the way of truth. Christian, ponder the path of your feet. Ponder the path of the feet. Do they always go where they are supposed to? Do your feet always acknowledge His way? Always acknowledge His way? Are you always going where you're supposed to? Are you always acknowledging His way? Do they always stay away from the places they're supposed to stay away from? Liquor stores, secular parties, uh, uh, bad movies at a movie house, uh, secret meetups. When was the last time that you followed this wisdom? Step one, ponder your feet. This isn't something you do once in your Christian life and move on forever. This is something a Christian ought to do regularly. Let me just give you something that you, I, I would encourage you to do. I did this in preparation for the message. Make a written list of the places that you go regularly. 
Take a pen and paper and write it down. Where is it that you go regularly? Ponder your feet. Ponder the path of your feet, Proverbs 4.26 tells us. And then step two, establish your ways. Establish your ways. I have this written down in my notes. Go where you go on purpose. Go where you go on purpose. Uh, I believe it's Proverbs 6 where the young man, simple man, uh, uh, Solomon views from his casement, is making his way to her house. He goes the way to her house. Listen, he's just aimlessly wandering through life, meandering his way. His feet are carrying him in a place where he's curious. He has no intention of sinning, but he's going someplace uh, 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 and he's not paying attention where he's going. He has no purpose to his feet. His ways are not established and it ends up getting him in trouble. By the way, just because you are saved, that does not mean that your feet are never in darkness. In fact, Paul reminded the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk, walk, walk as children of light. What's he saying? Is that yes, you were darkness, now you are saved, you are in the light, but now you have to choose on purpose to walk in the light. It's a conscious choice. It's pondering the path. It's establishing the way. Pondering the path, establishing the way. Go where you go on purpose. Paul said here to the Ephesians, you were sometimes darkness, now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How about this one? You're in Proverbs 4. Can you flip back over to Psalm 119 for me? Psalm 119 verse 101. I love this verse because it makes it very clear to the Christian that they do have a strong choice in the path that they walk. Now, if you're not saved, again, the only way you walk is in the way of iniquity. You don't know the Lord, you don't know His righteousnesses, then you're walking in a dark path. You're walking in a deceitful path, in a destructive path. But if you're saved, then you have the, you have the choice of which path you're going to walk down. Look at verse 101. I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. The psalmist is saying, I have pondered my, my path I have established my ways. I have refrained my feet. This verse clearly tells us that we have two choices for our feet. The evil way or preserving the power of God's Word in my life. Christian, Christian, tonight I would encourage you, make a list of the places that you regularly go. Wouldn't be a bad idea to take out a piece of paper and over the last seven days write everywhere you've been, everywhere your feet have taken you over the last seven days and go back and say, did God endorse or approve all these destinations? Number four, and lastly tonight, let's look at the preservation of the righteous. The preservation of the righteous. First Samuel chapter two, verse nine says this, speaking of God, He will keep, He will keep or preserve the feet of His saints. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. He will keep the feet of his saints. Now, I'm going to make a, uh, a point here in a minute, so stay with me here. Romans chapter 10 verse 15 is a, a quote from the Old Testament back in Isaiah 52 verse 7, and also a reference to Nahum chapter 1 verse 15, which we looked at uh, last week there. It says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Why are the feet of someone who's preaching good tidings and the gospel of peace, why are they beautiful? Because the Lord has preserved them. This is, uh, these are feet that God is guarding. They're watching and, and God is making sure that they're, they stay beautiful. They stay lovely and in an eternal value. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 3 verse 26. This will be the last verse I have you turn to tonight. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 26. For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall Keep thy foot from being taken. Shall keep thy foot from being taken. Now, while I was birthing this sermon, I asked myself this question. Do I keep my feet on the right path, or does God keep my feet on the right path? Can you understand why maybe I asked myself that question? And here's what I believe God, through His Spirit, allowed me to understand. If you will guard your feet, if you yourself will guard your own feet, keep them on the right path, then He will guard or keep them from the attacks of the evil one. You make sure that through walking with God, that constant conversation, Lord, where would you have me go? Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me listen to? What would you have me wear? What would you have me give? What would you have, how would you have me serve? How would you have me behave? How would you have me converse with others? When I'm keeping my feet in the right path through that system, then God is going to keep or preserve or protect my feet from that of the evil one. And that's where you get into the study of Ephesians 6 and putting on the armor of God. Putting on the armor of God. By doing this, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet are shod. And Satan cannot get to them because they are kept by your holy God. They're protected. They're protected. They're doubly kept. You keep them, and then the Lord keeps them for you. Uh, you keep them on the right path, and God keeps them safe. Proverbs 6 tells us that these six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination. Now we know about a proud look. We've heard lots of sermons on proud looks. We know about a lying tongue. We've heard that ever since uh, we started coming to church. We know all about hands that shed innocent blood and those that take lives, whether that be the murder of another innocent human being outside the womb or inside the womb. We know all about those things, but this one oftentimes gets overlooked. I've got to tell you, before I put this study together, I had never studied this or, ta- uh, or thought much on this before, but this is on the list, and to God it's just as important that our feet be not swift in running to mischief. How many times have um, you heard of someone who went out just for a night of fun and then ended up in jail? They had no intentions of committing a crime, but before you know it, they're an accomplice to a murder. You know why? They didn't ponder the path of their feet. They didn't establish their way. They got mixed up with the wrong crowd. The next thing you know, they're driving the getaway car. Or they're left holding the bag or trying to cover something up. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you pondering your paths? Are your ways established? When you walk the path of a Christian, 
will be times where it seems desolate and hard. You may even walk through a valley of the shadow of death. But, but, if you walk the way of the wicked, you are promised darkness, deceit, and destruction. Darkness, deceit, and destruction. For the lost, that ends up in hell. For the Christian, it ends up in misery. A miserable life before you get to heaven. The iniquitous path. The illuminated path. Which one are your feet walking in? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. The iniquitous path. Darkness. Deceit. Destruction. The illuminated path. Walking with God. The Word of God being that lamp down to the feet, the light to the path. A God who promises that if you will keep your path, He will keep your feet. If you will keep His way, He will keep your feet. Christian, are you pondering the path? Are you establishing your ways? Lord, I pray tonight, You would help us as we consider this. Oh, it's not a commonly preached topic, but an important one. Lord, may we go where we go on purpose. May we do what we do because You have led us. May our feet not be swift in running to mischief, but maybe, Lord, the opposite. May our feet be swift in running to righteousness. Holy Spirit of God, You do what You do. I don't want to try to be anyone's convictor. But would You... Would you tug on the insides of hearts right now on your people that need this message in, in, in a customizable way, Lord? Would you show each of us what we need? In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open.